comic. Why so serious? What? I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger mission. Logic. Dance off, bro! Me and you! Comic. What? Logic. Scott Pilgrim? Hi, I was thinking about asking you out, but then I realized how stupid that would be. That's okay. You should just sign for this, all right? So do you want to go out sometime? I say yes, will you sign for your damn package? So, yeah, 8 o'clock? Come to this Battle of the Bands thing. You have a band? Yeah, we're terrible. One, two, three, one! Mr. Pilgrim! I'm Ramona's first evil ex-boyfriend. What? Wait, we're fighting over Ramona? Didn't you get my email explaining the situation? I skimmed it. Mm-mm. So everyone, welcome to Comic Book Logic. I'm your host, Joe, and with me as always is my co-host, Kevin. Hey! Um, today we're going to be talking about Scott Pilgrim versus The World. Yeah. Uh, comic book movie from 2010. It feels oh so long ago. A little different from what we've done so far. Yeah. I, I think exempting... Really? Chris Evans is in it. <laughs> uh, that's true. There, there are a lot of people who have been in comic book movies in this movie. And people who will be in and comic book movies. And people who are about to be. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Kevin, I'm going to start off this episode like I start off every episode like I did before I had child. <laughs> Another child. Yeah. Um, what did you know? greedy, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> all the all the children all two of them um what did you know about scott pilgrim uh prior to this movie being made when it came out in 2010 absolutely nothing uh definitely one of the more obscure little cute indie comics um i did read a little bit of it i kind of glanced at it because it struck me as the kind of thing I might like. Yeah. And then you, were, um, you opened up and you were like, ugh. You put down. <laughs> I was just like, nah, I get it. <laughs> Manga. I get it. Yeah. It, it, that turned me off kind of right from the get-go. Sorry. All right. So Scott Pilgrim is actually a series of comics. It was actually released in digest form over six volumes, mm. um, including Scott Pilgrim. Started, starting off with Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life and ending with Scott Pilgrim's Finest Hour. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World was actually the title of the second of the digest books. Mm. Um, originally written by Brian Lee O'Malley of London, Canada. <laughs> I have to mention that. <laughs> um, started 2004. It actually ended... In 2010, after the release of the movie. Hmm. So the endings to the comic and the ending to the movie are actually very different and cause some stir. Um, same basic concept. Scott Pilgrim's got to fight the seven evil exes of his new girlfriend, Ramona Flowers, a manic pixie dream girl. It, you can give some excu- uh, excusal to it because it started in 2004 at the height of the manic pixie dream girl movement. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, by 2010. Thank you, Garden State. Ugh. For which I believe that term was coined. Uh, I, I, it was coined for Garden State. I, there's a lot more movies that... By, uh, by, by I believe, Chicago-based critic uh, Nathan Rabin. Yep, from The Onion, the, uh, the AV Club. I think he actually, now that I say that, did, he may have coined it for Elizabethtown. Uh, well, I mean, it was that same thing. But he yeah. was definitely saying, he was acknowledging a trend that yeah, started have, with Garden Let's State. not get too much into it, because anyway, I have a sorry. feeling this okay. is going to be a bigger part sorry. of our later discussion <laughs> of this of this book. Um, but no, it, the comic takes a lot of influence from not only 
video games, which the movie takes heavy reference to, yeah. um, it's more of a manga-based, which is the Japanese style of drawing comics. I think this is a good transition for us from the American style. This is like a very easy transition mm. because this is not like the Japanese. Like we're not going to watch Akira anytime soon. <laughs> Please, God, we no. could. I've actually seen Akira. Akira. It's it's one of the few uh, anime movies I've actually seen. Can I Driving around Neo Tokyo. Oh, yeah. Motorcycles. Oh, I hate that movie so much. <laughs> Don't I'm, spoil it. I, I just do. It's it's so weird. It's very weird. Uh, yes. Um, but, yeah, uh, Brian O'Malley, he, he actually had written a couple different comics beforehand. He mostly was doing independent press. Um, he's very vocal in saying that all of the great major trends in comics never comes from the mainstream. It always comes from the independent press. Hmm. So he would... He, you know, he did this for the independent press, and he wanted to do something that was very similar to the Japanese digest style, which is if you go to any used bookstore or oh, any bookstore, yeah. just lines and them lines, little and lines. books, yeah, all that you the same read backwards. spines, yeah. yeah, you gotta read them right to left, yeah, Ugh. yeah, and it's, and it, you know, it was essentially a cathartic way of getting through the idea of forming a relationship. Now, Joe and Kevin in two thousand four who probably would have seen this in 2004, probably would have had much different reactions than Joe and Kevin in 2016. That's possible. So this is very, very interesting. Yeah. Well, 2004, Joe was, um, and Kevin were both like, just out of college, you know, making our way in the world, trying to find a girlfriend, you know. Yeah. Shitty jobs and, and oh, yeah. living in an apartment. I had, a, I had a couple of terrible jobs, I think, simultaneously. <laughs> yeah. Living in an apartment, paying way too much for rent. Oh, yeah. And then 2016, Joe and Kevin are like, we're married, <laughs> settled down. Yeah. Got a dog. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, what is this? I'm just kid? watching him just yeah. looking at these kids, and he's like, I'm going to write a song for you. And I'm just like, oh, Ugh. God. Yes. If we're going to date, you may have to defeat my seven evil exes. You have seven evil ex boyfriends? Seven evil exes, yes. And I have to fight. Defeat. Defeat your seven evil exes if we're going to continue to date? Pretty much. So what you're saying right now is we are dating? Uh, I guess. Does that mean we can make out? Sure. Cool. All right, so Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Starting yeah. off... Um, it's already a little, a little, colo- uh, a little, a little annoying with its visuals right off the bat. Uh, Edgar yeah, Wright directed it. Just this side of cloying. I was just about say. to say cloying. I think that's what you were. T- just, you yeah, maybe I read heard me, it. Cloying. Just this side. I, 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 we'll get to our thoughts. I think a little bit later, but uh, yeah. you know, I, I don't have too much. I think bad to say about it. So we start off by meeting our main character, Scott Pilgrim, as played by. The wonderful Michael Cera, who in 2010 America was not sick of yet. The existing <laughs> the ex- Michael Cera. Yeah, so I'm going to be in this movie. It's called uh, Sky Pilgrim vs. the World. I think it's pretty good. I think so. I think I'm I in it. I haven't grown that mustache yet. I don't think I'm a meme yet. What does it mean? Do you think, I, do you think uh, they can give me a prosthetic for a chin yet? Um, no, I, 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 um, and we meet him and his, his band of characters. He's currently dating a 17-year-old high school student by the name of Knives Chow. Sure. We meet the rest of his band. Common uh, name. Yes. A practical name. 
Um, of course, we have uh, Stephen Stills and uh, <laughs> and Young, young Neil. Neil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's no Nash in this movie. There is no no Nash, and uh, I don't know is is Scott Pilgrim. David Crosby? Crosby? I don't... I think he's more Nash. I think we're missing a David Crosby, which I guess is for the best. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, probably for the best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kevin really appreciated that when he saw that. I did. Oh, I laughed. Because out of everybody, he would be the only... I think in 2000... When I saw this in 2010, I wasn't... I didn't really... I wasn't aware of a Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young reference. And it took me a good 45 minutes of this movie to even notice that it was Canada. Yeah. Because even though they say it right off the bat, I must have just missed it of doing yeah. something. It I don't says know. it like literally right off the bat. Right we, in the beginning. We're in just, the ash it. wastes of Toronto, Canada. Yeah. Or Toronto, Canada. Sorry. Toronto. Sorry, Canadians. The Six. The Six? Drake calls it The, the six. six. He's been trying to make that happen for several years. Why is it The Six? Well, because of the area code. There's like a, It's something to do with there's two area codes in Toronto, and they both uh, have one or two sixes, sixes in them, yeah. and he's trying to be like, it's The Six. And everyone's like, what? No, because rap of that. is big on area codes for some reason, which well, yeah. I find very ephemeral because they constantly change area codes. It's just an easy, easy way to date your rap music. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, because, and I can't keep track of it, because as you know, I got hoes in different area codes. <laughs> right, and yeah. then they change those hoses Hose codes, codes, and <laughs> now we're to Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> they change those hoses Pros codes. And doses. <laughs> this is Drake. Drake it's has hoes. He has hoes in different area codes. <laughs> uh, that was a Drake who did air. No, that's, we that's, know that, but it's, yeah. it was well, no, no, like very few people probably. It was too fast, too furious is ludicrous. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, that's just ludicrous. Um, so we get to, we meet his band and also uh, Alison mm-hmm. Pill plays the drummer of the band. She's uh, his well, uh, Scott's ex-girlfriend, which is kind of an under theme of this book is that Scott is pretty terrible to women. Yeah. 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 Uh, he's a, he's a, he's he's a, jerk. a jerk. Yeah. So he's dating this knives chow who's 17 and in high school, which I guess is okay in Canada. Um, he's 22. It's, yeah, I don't know what in Toronto, in that particular province, I don't Toronto. know what the age of consent is, but uh, it, they, well, they make it, crap for it. They make it very clear in the movie that they've only held hands. They haven't done anything. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. This movie goes at great lengths to avoid a lot of uncomfortability. Mm-hmm. Um, so Scott's dating this girl, but all of a sudden he has a dream about this girl, this manic yeah. girl, this pixie she girl got a from his dreams, of some sort. Yes, and she seems very manic. Yes, and, and he has she's a dream about, about that her. girl. Yeah, <laughs> quite literally. Yeah, this is 2010, Edgar Wright. 2010. Mm-hmm. I can't. It's not Edgar Wright. It's it's Brian Leo Malley. Right. So I can't really hold it too much on him. But he has this dream, and then he goes to a party hosted by Parks and Recreations. Aubrey Plaza. This movie has everyone in it. Oh, by yeah. the way, just like. It's a- Big big cast of, yeah. of a lot of people who are were famous then and are more famous now. Yeah, I think. pretty much more famous now. Yeah, uh, so yeah. Aubrey Plaza is holding this this party, and he goes there and he sees the girl from his dreams, <gasps> and it's uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, star of the Thing remake or prequel <laughs> or whatever that uh-huh. thing was. And, and this and, year's Ten Cloverfield Lane. Yeah, Ten which Cloverfield. I quite liked, yeah. and in the the. TV show Brain Dead. What is that called? I Brain think Dead. that's what it's called. I've never actually seen it. Yeah, I'm going off either. of like seeing it on the internet. Mary Elizabeth Winstead to me is like the perfect um, 
like like blank slate character. Like I never really think of any sort of personality with her. Like <laughs> it's just like whatever the character needs is like she's that character at that time. Yeah. Like I, I can't think of like like she's any got t- those big eyes. Yeah, too. she's got the big anime eyes going mm-hmm. on. Yeah, people like that. She's like a she's like a modern day Winnie Cooper. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Not that Winnie Cooper went away. She's still around. She's doing she math teaches stuff. math to yeah. girls. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Yeah. Whatever. Project MC Squared. I've watched a couple episodes. It's oh. uh, it's uh, interesting, to say the least. <laughs> it's a thing that exists. It's a thing that exists. So Scott, of course, tries to uh, get her attention in many ways. He talks about Pac-Man that fails miserably. He yeah. finds out that she works for Amazon.ca and you know, orders a package <laughs> and manages to get a date with her. Yeah. Which automatically leads to her bedroom, which I also found fairly weird. 2016 e- Joe found weird. Yeah. 2010 yeah. Joe probably was like, eh, it's pretty first, cool. First date. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. For all the talk of bases that comes later, yeah. I thought it was interesting that all that talk of like, got to first and a half base, it was like... You were in her bed. She was in her underwear. Yeah. Yeah, almost. She changed her mind, and that's okay. Yeah. But, yeah, first date. I mean, you could have had coffee with her the next morning, and you probably would have gotten some. (laughs) I'm just saying. She was was was, there. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by that, where he was like, oh, it's only first and a half. Sleeping in a bed with a girl in her underwear is first and a half base for you? (laughs) Exactly. I mean, well, Canadian baseball rules. (laughs) Okay. Very different. I don't know. The, the the Blue Jays are the only ones left, so... It's true. The After Expos the Expos went to D.C., the Nationals now. It's all very confusing. They couldn't be the... Ra- they couldn't be the... Uh, it, it's a whole thing. I'm just waiting for Cuba to get a team. That's going to be the next one. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, man, that'd be so amazing. The Havana Cuba... Cigars. I will be the biggest Havana... Like, Havana <laughs> Cigars... <laughs> I want them to be Rickies, the Havana Rickies. Oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Just with a big, like, Desi Lu symbol on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's I, I'm going to be a huge supporter of that team. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah. Bongo so, will be the name of their... <laughs> the, yeah, the Bongo and Baba Lucy Lou. will be their... Uh, oh, Babalu, that'll be the name it's of their, uh, their mascot. Yeah, there you that's go. That's good. All right. We've for, got this down. For 70-year-old references, it's great. <laughs> yeah. So, the... Uh, yeah, he's he's... And he's talking about this with his roommate, his gay roommate, uh, played by mm-hmm. Kieran Culkin, uh, yep. Wallace, yep. Uh, who is in constant communication with his sister, as played by um, Anna Kendrick, Anna Kendrick. Um, the modern day, everyone's in love with her. On, like, there's, this movie is filled with people that like Hollywood is obsessed with now. Mm-hmm. Anna Kendrick, Alison Pill, Mae Whitman. Um, uh, Alison Pill is the one I don't really know. What do I? What should I know her from? She's, she's the one I couldn't. Really Alison Pill has been around since like the eighties. She's mm. like she's probably like one of those like old school go to young child actresses. Hmm. Um, like I could, I I can't really name anything like super famous she's been in, but she's one of those people that you know from a thousand things. I probably do. Yeah, I can see her face in like a bunch of stuff, but. Hmm. And what's her face? Who's playing Captain America? Uh, Captain Marvel. Um, your girl. Yeah, Brie Larson. Brie Larson. She's the yeah. other one. That like this. This movie is an Aubrey Prize Plaza. This movie is filled yeah. it's with a who's who of of people we see in every movie now. Now, yeah, mm-hmm. this is like ten years, five, six years ago. The so only it's one crazy. who's not in this somehow is Elizabeth Banks. That's true. She really should have been in this. I feel like maybe she was in a cut scene or something. Yes. Um, so Scott starts dating Ramona and cheating on knives at the same time. Yeah. They eventually do break up. 
Mm-hmm. But we uh, we learn that Scott has to fight Ramona's seven evil exes. Yeah, we find that around the same time he does, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it, it was very at in the moment it was very bizarre because because uh, they're playing Matthew they're, Patel. Matt yeah, Patel yeah. shows up. They're playing yeah. in the battle. Of the I don't bands. know what his real name is, but his name is the character of Matt Patel, Patel shows up, and he just they've got to start fighting. Yes, um, this is Canada, so. Ramona Flowers has dated a multi-ethnic group of people. Sure. Which is great. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, even though she's American. She's America, as uh, Scott Pilgrim says. She's American. <laughs> yeah, I'll get to that. <laughs> she, because I just, I found that very confusing, the timeline, because she came to Toronto. And so did all of her exes. But a lot of them, it felt like we're already there, because like the... Two guys who were in the band, and then she, the other one. They like, could have been in like Detroit or something. I yeah, I guess. she could have been from they Detroit came up through Windsor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or maybe Buffalo, New York. Maybe, yeah, maybe Buffalo. That's I mean, on the it's other a little side. side. That's a little yeah, farther, a little but, farther, farther but that, it could work. I've made that drive. It's you doable. can go over the the Friendship Bridge. It's great. Mm. <laughs> I think that's that's called the Friendship Bridge, I think right? So. Yeah. Or, yeah, it's not the Rainbow Bridge. That's from Thor. Um, <laughs> that you had such an issue with. Oh my god. Um bonkers yeah so they're playing a show and matthew patel comes up and all of a sudden you have this very magical realism street fighter fight scene now you've they've had a couple yeah. different things with like like energy like a p meter and like yeah, yeah the, the sound effects yeah sound effects uh, words appear in the screen in a very yeah. sort of comic booky kind of style or video gamey kind of style yeah, a mixture of both. Yeah. I, it was it was a a blend that I guess made a lot of sense. Now, 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 everything pixelated. I yeah. took as the video game reference. So Scott is able to defeat Patel, and as defeating him turns him into coins, which yeah. is a two thirty four, which is not enough for a bus ride. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as we learn that Scott has to defeat the seven evil exes of Ramona, of Ramona Flowers in order to win her heart, right? Um, now, Kevin and I are, are both, you know, fairly well-read people. We understand this is a metaphor, but we're going to talk about it like it's real for this movie. Sure. Um, well, it is. It's treated very real, real in the movie. Yeah, it's very, it's, there's no, there's, there's no, like, uh, metaphor in this movie. It, this is all realistic. This is all completely what happens. Um, Scott is able and has to go defeat Chris Evans, who mm -hmm. plays the second evil ex. I believe it's the second mm -hmm. one, right? Lucas, I want to say his name was. Yeah. yeah, he's number two. He's an actor shooting a movie there. And he's able to defeat him through trickery. Yeah. Of skateboarding. Mm -hmm. yeah. Tricks him into doing a skateboard thingy. Because yes. a thingy called, on the it's a grindy thingy on the stair, yeah. grindy thingy over there, <laughs> it's, it's, and it's, he dies. Yeah, this I should guess. be called Kevin versus the world. Is what this is because a lot of the dialogue is directly from Kevin's vocabulary, <laughs> pretty much. Um, the third evil X is uh, Brandon Routh uh, from a movie Superman and uh, yeah. TV Adam Brandon mm -hmm. Routh, who I actually love. He's he's a, he's a pretty fun guy. He's I, a good guy. I liked him. I grew to like him a lot from uh, Chuck. From, yeah, he's Even though great he turned Chuck. evil in Chuck. Spoilers for yeah. a show that's off the air now, but uh, I never I finished did. Chuck. Oh well, he turned evil. Yeah, uh, I believe he turned into the big bad in the final seasons. Oh okay, but I did. Uh, you know, it's funny. I I don't think I ever officially stood like I never watched the first like season of Chuck, oh. like parts of it. But that I kind of like caught up season. with it. Yeah, and then I watched the rest of it. Watched and then Ivan Stravinsky the went on to go on to the worst season of Dexter. Oh 
yeah, she's bad. Yeah, and uh, what's his face? Uh, the Baldwin, Adam Baldwin. He went on to become a crazy person. He's very right wing. I didn't say that. I just said he's a crazy person. <laughs> well, it doesn't help. The being right wing doesn't help. Yeah, big gun uh, guy. Yeah, big big on the guns. Yeah, which is fine, but you know he's just a little little on the crazy side. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So but, uh, away from Chuck, he fights Brandon Routh, who's has super vegan powers. <laughs> he went to vegan academy. He went to vegan academy, as we learned. <laughs> And he's able to defeat him through giving him milk. Which, yes, he tricks him into drinking half know, and half, half yes. and half again. More trickery, more trickery. Hmm. Um, and so he is taken away by uh, by Thomas Jane by, by the Punisher. The, the Punisher pun- shows up to takes, take him away. He takes, well, he takes away his vegan powers, which yes. allows Scott to defeat him and turn him into right. coins as well. <laughs> then uh, we have uh, May Whitman's character. Shows mm-hmm. up. Egg shows egg. up. Yeah. <laughs> egg from uh, Arrested Development. I always call her her. Her? Her. Yeah. yeah. Her? Her? Yeah. Uh, she shows up, and we find that Ramona had a little bit of a bi cure. I think in 2010, probably not considered too uh, offensive, but I think in like oh, 2016 viewing, like that whole discussion seemed kind of a little offensive. Uh, yeah. It was, it was played a little bit like he was... He, <sighs> Michael Sarah's character, it felt like, yeah, exhibited maybe a little bit of disgust with it, which I thought was well. Strange. I think no, I think it was more Ramona dis- like had a little bit of disgust with it, like Some she shame kept on, associated yeah, like shame with it. Associated. She was trying to yeah. sort of downplay it. Yeah, that's what I, I kind of felt with that. Yeah, one. rather than it just being like oh. matter of fact, yeah. like this is why I didn't. That's why I said exes and not ex boyfriends yeah. because they're not all boys. They're yeah. not all men. You know, I kind of felt like she was like like ah, you yeah. know the thing. I, I felt like that was a little weird. I, I wasn't a big fan of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that probably should have been handled a little different. Even in but, 2010, that probably yeah, should have been a little different. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, once again, it's you got to look at it in terms of when it was written. It was probably played off for more laughs in 2010 as opposed to 2016. Um, that we learned that she dated uh, two Asian twins who were uh, yeah, EDM. at the same time, that's really glossed over. Yeah, I mean that was that's really quick. That's gone over really quick. They, they don't even they don't even talk. They no, just play they have no EDM lines. music. They play their things. They make a dragon appear. And yeah, the she band dated, has to make an abominable did, snowman yeah, appear. She dated uh, the Japanese version of Daft Punk. Is right. essentially what it is. That's what they were going for. Yes, it's fine. Um, meanwhile, as this is all going on, Knives Chow is dating Young Neil. Yes, to in order to get ex- exclusively to get back at Scott. At Scott, a yeah. lot of glowering. Yes, um, and then uh, we also have that we meet Gideon. We meet Gideon, who is Ramona's angry at Scott because her and Scott have a falling out after the May Whitman fight, mm-hmm. and uh, we find that next when their Scott's band is playing at Sex Bob's, are playing <laughs> right. At, that's what Gideon calls them. Are playing at the club. We see. Uh, the 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 G man who's constantly going to be offering this band uh, a contract turns mm-hmm. out to be Ramona's final evil ex Gideon, right. as played by Kevin's favorite Jason Schwartzman. Uh, I love me some Jason Schwartzman. I cannot stand Still it. Still do. I love Jason Schwartzman in, like in this movie where he's a bad guy because he's a sure. smarmy jerk. I sure. mean, he's always a he smarmy plays jerk. smarmy jerks very well. Yeah. I mean, like. I, I, I could never get over how much I hated him in Rushmore. Mm-hmm. I love Rushmore as a movie. I just hate him, but he, yeah. he, it's good because you're supposed to not like him, I guess. You're supposed to definitely get the gist of he's he's an, he's an asshat. Mm-hmm. He's definitely an asshat. 
Yeah. So Scott is able to uh, finally defeat him, come to the real through only through the realization of that he's a complete ass to all of the girls around him. Right. right. He fights Gideon, and after the, well, he the loses, last yeah. fight, uh, fight, he gets a one up. Yes. Which, you know, obviously big video game thing and you knew yeah. that was going to play in um checkoff's one up and checkoff's one up he, i don't think it works because it showed up in the third act it has to show up in the first, first act, act. Yeah. exactly it was it's more like checkoff's dance dance revolution <laughs> so we get to that i am dancing in the dance uh, <laughs> bump he's doing the russian dance with it like kicking up that's i'm doing this we know Kevin. a lot about the revolutions here <laughs> Dance, dance, political revolution. <laughs> dance, dance, social and political revolution. <laughs> Chekhov never wrote during the political revolution. I, I don't. He was one of those people who wrote like that cherry orchard. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you did say we were well read. <laughs> That's true. He didn't write the cherry orchard. Oh, did he write the cherry I don't It doesn't matter. So... Yeah, he gets someone up. He he dies. He gets killed uh, in a very you know the stabbed in the back. Oh, clearly, yeah. very cowardly. Um, well, well, I w- I kind of want to make a point of this is that Scott is able to fight him because he's able to finally say he loves Ramona. So he's able to get the power of love. Right. But the power of love is not enough, Kevin. No. No. He had to get. Uh, self-realization, self-actualization, right. self-respect. Well, that's the thing is yeah. he dies and then he's like, he sees uh, Ramona again and they talk a little bit and he kind of has this realization of like, oh, I, you know, this is more about me. This is about, you know, I'm supposed to learn something here. This is not just about you. Yes. And he's like, great, I'm dead. I, you know, I learned this lesson, but I'm dead now. And then they remember, he remembers, oh, I have the one up. He uses it. And then he gets a do-over of that whole scene. Yes. So he gets to Which walk is a little, in and start funny. punching. Yeah. That's funny. I'm glad it moves pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, we get right into that and he gets to kind of have a better version of that whole scene. And he learns something and he apologizes. You know, he gives the band his blessing. He yeah. uh, apologizes to well, Alison not, Pill. Yeah. Um, and then he preemptively apologizes to Knives, Knives as yeah. well, um, and he gets the the better of, and they get to beat up on uh, Jason Schwartzman, which yes. is fun to watch. And then they defeat him, smash him, and then he has to fight the nega version of himself, <laughs> right? Which, <laughs> which they is... cut away to it, cut away from it, and then it's just them coming outside laughing, and they're like, "We're gonna get brunch later." <laughs> Which is like if, he's, he's actually a super nice guy. It's we like, have a lot in common. If like me or you had to fight the, the negative version of right, ourselves, I find myself I'd just be like, "Well, oh, it's fine, it's fine." Yeah, you want you want to fight? Yeah, we could go to the bar instead. <laughs> right? Do they have IPAs? Yeah, of course they have IPAs. You know that you're me. I don't like IPAs. All right, you're negative, negative me. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, you probably really like like fruity sour beers. <laughs> yeah, they're okay. That's fine. They got those. That's all right. <laughs> they have everything now. Yeah. We're in the golden age of microbreweries, it's man. It's such a what an age to be alive. <laughs> oh, nega, Kevin. <laughs> so, uh... I quit Supernatural after season two. I'm sticking with it. I'm, you know what? Season 12's <laughs> coming up. I can't believe it's still on either. At this point, I'm just in too deep. <laughs> you have to self-actualize more with your TV, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Canceling Hulu, does that count? A little bit. Cool. It's a step. 
Um, and then after the end, he kind of has a moment with Knives, and we we're kind of wondering what's going on. Is he going to go with Knives, or is he going to go with Ramona? And yeah. he ends up going with Ramona. Sure. Yeah. I mean, after all that. Yeah. I mean, he kind of had to. to. Yeah. Uh, that would have been silly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would be it would be better if, you know, Ramona had a, a you know, a character, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> So, what can I get you? Is there anywhere you don't work? They're called jobs. Something a ball like you wouldn't know anything about. And by the way, I can't believe you asked Ramona out after I specifically told you not to do that. How are you doing that with your mouth? Never mind how I'm doing it. What do you have to say for yourself? Can I get a caramel macchiato? You know what? Maybe it's high time you took a look in the mirror before you wreak havoc on another girl. Me? Wreak havoc? And speaking of which, I hear the girl that kicked your heart in the ass is walking the streets of Toronto again. So I can just get my coffee over here. All right. So production notes. This movie was um, hugely promoted mm-hmm. in uh, in the comic book, you know, in the, the San Diego Comic Con 2010. It was huge. Um, and yet I didn't see it <laughs> when it well, came out. A lot of people didn't. Yeah. Um, Universal gave this movie a budget of about $90 million. So you got to add in about half that for, you know, uh, promotion. So about $135 mm-hmm. million. Uh, this movie tanked at the box office. It was the yeah. biggest disappointment for for uh, Universal. It was Universal. Oh, yeah. yeah I think well, I said Paramount. We know it's in a Universal because they play the Universal theme three times. Yes. Yeah. Hilariously <laughs> each time. They well, actually the, play it when... Well, they uh, play the original, and then they play like the 8-bit the version. The 8-bit version, and then they play it again when... Chris Evans. Chris Evans pops yeah. out, which I thought was really funny. Yeah. The uh, so, But this movie tanked. It opened up a fifth in box office on the weekend that came out. Yeah. I mean, that's usually reserved for, like, Christian movies. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, God's Not Real 2, like, would open up on 5th, and that'd be considered a win. Yeah. <laughs> Sequels to remakes of 70s genre movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, this movie did horrible at the box office. It did eventually make its money back in, of course, DVD, and, and it gained a kind of a cult following this is a critical darling. It has over, I think, 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is high, with a high yeah. Metacritic score as well. Mm-hmm. Um, critics generally loved it. I know one of the noticeable ones was Leonard Malton did not like this movie. Hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that I don't agree with with the critics or I don't agree with Leonard Malton, but I can see a lot of things of like why people would love or hate this movie. Um you know, this was Edgar Wright really wanted to. So up? I was curious what it opened up fifth to. Yeah. Um, so I looked it up. Number four, um, inexplicably, number four was surprisingly Inception. Okay, I can go. Shockingly, that wasn't number one. Number four was Inception. Number three, The Other Guys. Okay, the, great movie. Uh, Will Ferrell comedy. Number two, Eat, Pray, Love. Wow. Probably your favorite. And guess what number one was? Well, if it's not Eat, Pray, Love, I don't know. The uh, Probably the, the male version of Eat, Pray, Love, The Expendables. Oof. Yeah. Oof. So. Hey, uh, yo. Uh, harsh. I want you to take your uh, your medicine, you take your hot pills, because we're going to go on a mission. Surprisingly, number six was Despicable Me. And I have a feeling that one probably spread. That, that that probably had a really big second weekend. Yeah, I mean, that was that had probably been a couple weekends after it had already opened. Like, same thing with Inception. Like, oh, that's true. Yeah, I, I don't mean, think after, it mentions... Oh, it, it probably does uh, highlight that. 
Yeah, yeah which was the which was it. Yeah, I'm looking at it on my phone, so that's probably not a really well, good way. The to thing do is, it. is this is Edgar Wright's directing. This is like one of his first big movies that doesn't involve um, uh, Simon Pegg mm-hmm. and Nick Frost. Right. You know, he had done at this point. He had already done Hot Fuzz, and he had done uh, Shaun of the Dead. Right. He had not done uh, the World's, World's End. End, which yeah. is the other one that came out a couple years later. Mm-hmm. Um, Edgar Wright, and we've talked about him before. He's, you know, he was supposed to do Ant Man. Mm-hmm. He has a, a kind of a, he's a film lover. Kevin just actually, we we his top what is it hundred no he thousand did movies his of all time thousand favorite movies uh, yeah. over there on Mubi m u b i dot com. You can Google that and and find it. It's a really cool list. Yeah, it's a very cool list. But the second Kevin f- emailed it to me, I'm like, oh, he finally finished it. Maybe he can direct a movie for a change. <laughs> <laughs> direct his own movie. Uh, I, I love Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright is a great guy to listen to on any podcast. He's a fantastic person to read. Mm-hmm. He just needs to make more movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he supposedly has a lot in development right now. Yeah. So, uh, fingers crossed. You know, I think a lot of what happened on Scott Pilgrim kind of s- spoiled him because he got a big budget to do this. He basically did everything he wanted. He didn't get any actors with British accents. That was one of his things because he's filming this in Canada. Mm-hmm. He wanted to get a lot of like great actors for the movie, but not necessarily big name actors. Mm-hmm. I mean, Michael Sarah is not necessarily a... It, he it, was known by that point, but yeah, well, I feel 2010 like... 2010 had already been uh, uh, the... What's the, the growing up one? Not knocked or, up. Um, um, oh, Superbad. Superbad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Superbad had already come out. Right. So, I mean, he was known as kind of a guy, even if even though not a lot of people saw Arrested Development when it was on, <laughs> myself included. How did you not watch Arrested Development? I didn't watch it when it was on. I, I caught up with it later. Yeah, I don't know. I still say that Arrested Development has the best joke to hit ratio out of any show known to mankind like yeah. and the jokes aren't great they're not like fantastic laugh out loud one-liners but they're just setups that just work in every scene yeah the narration usually punches it up <laughs> and usually a lot of times the narration delivers the punchline yes too or not not even it's just like it's it could just be like something that you see in the background of the scene mm-hmm. sells the oh scene. sure yeah um and you Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, not really well known at that point. She did mm-hmm. a, a couple things. No one in the movie was relative was really famous at that point. Brandon Routh had done Superman, mm-hmm. so that was kind of a big thing. Chris Evans had done the Fantastic Four movies mm-hmm. at that point. Jason Schwartzman, of course, but he's the big bad, right? So I mean, he's there are people there, yeah, who were known, but no. It, it, to your point, it was not big celebrities. This was not a, 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 a going to be a huge draw. Which I don't. Maybe that was a problem. Well, the the thing with the um, so the movie debuted at San Diego Comic Con, and I believe it was around the same. I think it was. I think it was like slightly earlier, and it kind of had a rollout of the movie. It had a slow opening. They gave out tickets for free everywhere for this movie, and I think that was part of the reason. If you wanted to go get tickets to see this movie for free, you could. So I think that's what part of the oh. reason why it had a little low. Because you'd go to a comic store and they'd have free tickets to go see Scott Pilgrim as part of like the like promotional huh. tour for it, and I think they were hoping for a lot of re- people going back to see it. But this is 2010; that was kind of on the one theaters are going on the downside, right? So I think that's part of it as well. Um, and I think maybe part of the reason for it is like some of the stuff we might get into a little bit later um, in terms of like stuff we liked, stuff we didn't like with the movie. Of why p- this movie didn't have a lot of rewatch value. Hmm. All right, so going into 
what we what, what do you think of this movie so far? What do you what do you what are some of your thoughts? I kind of I have a lot of scattershot things yeah. on this. So like, how do you want to form this this discussion? I don't know. I mean, I liked it. I I, I think it's really fun. I really like. I, I it's a movie that I don't at all relate to, and I don't know if that's I think a, that's part of it. I don't yeah. know if that's a combination of I was watching it now for the first time, and I'm a little too old for it. Yeah, um, I didn't really grow up reading comics. Uh, obviously, is we that's kind of a central premise of the show, and not only comics but manga comics, right? Yeah. Exactly what they're kind of going for here, and it plays so heavily on video games. And I got certain things. I mean, I've certainly played video games. So, I mean, I understood a lot of the concepts, and I recognized what they were going for. You at one point have said, I pressed A. How come you didn't jump? I pressed <laughs> A. Look, I'm pressing A now. You're like talking to the Nintendo. Pretty much. I, I recognized the Legend of Zelda music in the beginning. Yeah. I, I recognized that. I knew what they were going for. But yeah, it didn't speak to me in any meaningful way. Like it's one of those things that I would just kind of admire from a distance for what it did. Sitting there with your arms crossed, shaking your nodding your head yes. Yeah. Like, You're like, I, I, I approve of your choices here. And yeah. I'm gonna go back and uh And that's the thing, is like I don't think you could fault Edgar Wright's directing. I think this movie is directed incredibly well. And I think I said that to you too, is that like the fight scenes are really, really well done. Like, yeah, some of it's pretty obvious that it's not Michael Sarah fighting. Like, I was looking for it because I've, sure. I've seen this movie before, so I'm like, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna see like how well they. And it's like it's obviously like a six foot four dude, <laughs> a six foot four two fifteen pound dude with a Michael Sarah wig on. It's really well edited. The way that. It moves from one scene to the next. It has a lot of pretty good flow to it. I love how conversations continue in multiple locations in a way that, obviously, if you think about it, like it doesn't make any like realistic sense. But for watching the movie and this not being a realistic movie... To say the least, yeah, you are like that's <laughs> Michael fine. Sarah would never end up with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. <laughs> no, and I think that speaks to a lot of like the magical realism of the Scott Pilgrim universe. It's a, it's interesting because it's a combination. I feel like yes, there's magical realism where like he's jumping and like they're looking up at him to be like, look at how he's jumping and like the coins are physically real as they like explode out of yeah. a person who you know, is killed, but obviously not killed in a, in a sort yeah. of a violent, you know, way, like a sort of a cartoonish violence way. But it, but, but it, but it is, it's like when, uh, way back in one of the early, probably the second episode we did, when we talked about the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk, and <laughs> that Hulk, uh-huh. as opposed to the other Hulk, um, I said it looked, especially the finale, looked a lot like a video game. Yeah. This obviously looks like a video game because it's trying to. Yeah. And that's a, it, and it looks like that and it plays like that. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, and that's kind of the hard part of it is, is that it is magical realism because you're like, this stuff is actually happening in, happening in their universe. But right. as like, and no one comments on it like yeah. it's weird. <laughs> as opposed to Kevin who's sitting there going, did, did anybody else see that? <laughs> right. That's not supposed to happen. Right. That's I'm the one re- who's like, why is he flying? <laughs> I can't fly. You like jump, like just jump. Like, <laughs> Can we do that now? <laughs> and then I die and because then you die. I jump off of something. But as anybody who like has an inkling of like dramatic, like sense of like reading, you understand that 
it's just a metaphor for a relationship of having to deal with people's baggages. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not literally having to fight. We said this. With him, like, right. Well, Kevin, he's not <laughs> literally trying to fight the exes. No. and, and He's I, fighting with the baggage that the exes left onto Ramona. Right. And, and it's funny because, and, and I wish that this was, I kept waiting for this to be more, especially with the conclusion, because it was set up so perfectly to be this with the whole conclusion for, with Gideon when he shows up and she's just like, I'm going to go with him because I can't not go with him. There's a line pretty early on where he says something like, I have to fight your your evil axis. And she says, she says like, no, she says like defeat. You have to defeat them. Yeah. And I thought that they were really setting up this idea like, yes, he was going to fight all of them. But the idea, especially at the end, was going to be, no, it's not about physically overpowering them because that makes no sense. It's you have to. What are you to... talking about, Kevin? The only sort of, of <laughs> defeating I know would involve physical violence. As a man, I can only tell you that the only type of of, <laughs> right. of well, conflict no, and, I would know would be man versus well, man. No. And, and they play <laughs> or man with, versus nature. And they do play with it a little bit where he. We, we mentioned yeah. how, he, how he tricks Captain America and he, <laughs> and he tricks. He, he tricks uh, Superman. Superman. He tricks both of them. Uh, so I, I guess in that sense it works, but like I was waiting for more of a not like a heady, like not in a heady psychological way, but literally just it was about the memory and the impression that those exes left on her. He had to defeat that by giving her something better. Yeah, and I think that there's something to be said about that because at at the very end of of the movie, um. He, I don't think Scott has really grown, like mm. he, enough to give her something different than yeah. what he grew a little bit. But it was more about it's himself, more about him. I guess. Yeah, I mean, like, oh, you know, at the very end, he he's you know he's like, what does he say to Gideon? I I made a point of 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 trying to remember it, but he says like, this isn't about her. This is about me and you. Yeah, and I was just like, oh. he says, like, I'm gonna fight, I'm gonna fight you, because no, no, he goes, you're, you're gonna, gonna fight, fight me for her. her, and he says that the first time, and he says yeah. yes, and then he says in the repeats, you're gonna fight me for her, and he says, oh, I'm gonna fight you for me, and he gets a different sword because he learns self-respect. But I'm just like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he hasn't learned anything. <laughs> I oh, I get it. He learned to be more selfish. <laughs> he learned how to be a 22-year-old. Great. <laughs> Good for him. Good for him. Finally. I mean, and I think this is part of my... Maybe by the time he's 25, he'll learn how to be a 23-year-old. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, I, I it's really, really interesting because I remember being seeing this movie in 2010, which I was 30 at the time when I saw this movie. I remember liking it. And I remember yeah. going like, oh, this is what it's like to be dating. I mean, I had I had only been married for like a year and a half at that point. But then it's like watching it now, I'm like, oh, I yeah. can't, I, this is just intolerable. <laughs> and I know young people are even worse now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no one takes a selfie in this movie. No. I don't even all. think that was a word yet. No. Mm. I mean, everyone in this movie is like 45 now. 
<laughs> it's true. And they all 50s. use landlines in this phone. They use landlines they a lot. It's Canada, though. Oh, that's true. You know, uh, they've got a really reliable <laughs> landline system. They're probably still using it. Yeah, well, of course. They're <laughs> and not a single person said A in this movie. Yeah, Edgar, Edgar Wright seemed to want to downplay the Canadian part in that sense. Which is funny because I said to you, I go, this movie, uh, people in Toronto say this is the most Canadian movie, the most the movie that best reflects Toronto out of any movie out there sorry I, I i know it's pronounced toronto i'm not toronto toronto i'm not yeah. supposed to say toronto yeah the six vest represents the six yeah i i, you, I always try like but i'll be damned phone. if i say missouri <laughs> it's missouri <laughs> i'm playing so much drake on this podcast you are you'll play your all you yeah. drink you want all the degrassi that you need yeah. all the degrassi um I mean, it's it's weird because this movie, unlike a lot of our movies, does have a f- have a message to it. it it's, mm-hmm. There's something to this movie, and I don't necessarily like. I'm like, oh, finally, something we can dig deep into. And at the same time, I'm like, I don't like what they said. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I yeah, I just I, I'm maybe I shouldn't just write it off because they're kids. But I kind of want to write it off because, because they're, they're kids. kids. I just okay. That's kind of how you are when you're 22. I mean, yeah. I, and I know it's weird because I want better of my protagonists. I want better of my protagonists. I want them to <laughs> to grow as people. I want them to to realize what they do. Yeah. But the problem is, is this is such a this is such a follow up and not a reaction or a reflection on the idea of the manic pixie dream girl trope that we were talking about earlier in the podcast. So for yes. those who are unaware, the Manic Pixie Dream Girl is the girl who wanders into a schlubby protagonist's life who turns it upside down, mm-hmm. who makes him realize that he wants more to life. He wants to be a f- right. He doesn't want the same old, same old. He mm. wants to be fun and energetic She's and impulsive. and quirky. Yeah. And, you know, she, she knows all this stuff about music and art and stuff like that. Mm. But and then he can teach her about music and art, too. Yeah. and. Wearing cool glasses. Yeah. I mean, like, and we we said, like, the original one is, is Garden State. It's Natalie Portman right. Garden State. But I believe it came from, from a Elizabeth. review of, of Elizabethtown. Um, Which Elizabethtown had... Scar, uh, not... Sc- no. I started to say Scarlett Johansson. It's I meant not. to say Spider-Man, uh, Mary Jane... Uh, no, yeah, um, Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. It's Kirsten Dunst and Orlando Bloom in Elizabethtown. Yes. Yeah. That's what I was... Right. That's yeah. what I was who's trying to... I don't know where Scarlett Who's dating from. Katy Perry now? But... <laughs> Kirsten Dunst and Katy Perry. No, no, no. Orlando Bloom. That is. That's pretty good. Scandalous. Now I'm Um, bi curious. (laughs) I'm actually at that point where I'm bifocal curious because I'm going (laughs) to see if it makes my reading experience any better. Um, Eh. I'm old. I'm an old guy. Um, So, yeah, you have Natalie Portman, who, of course, you know, Zach Braff wrote Garden State, and it's like Natalie Portman is, is the girl that can do no wrong in that movie. Right. The, no. the fundamental problem with it isn't really just... It, it, there's, well, there's two fundamental problems with it. The one is that they seem to just exist and serve at the whim of their you know male, usually white male protagonist. Yes. And something you referenced... Um, they generally have no agency of no, their own. They don't. They're they're literally there mm-hmm. for for the 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 male protagonist to learn something about himself. Right. Um, and I think it's it's almost as if that that trope is the creation of the Bechdel test, which I'm not even a huge fan of. I think it's a stupid thing, but. I, 
it, yeah. it there is a yeah. it, it, it serves a legitimate purpose and mm-hmm. to bring awareness to a movie i mean there's a lot of lesbian porn that really passes the Bechdel <laughs> test it does you it, it technically passes <laughs> uh, that's why i don't like it as a thing but it does it does provide insight into the fact that ramona flowers exists simply for scott to learn something about himself Right. To gain his own self-respect. Sure. At the end of the movie, which he doesn't even, because he's Michael Sarah, and how can Michael Sarah have any self-respect? Huh. Uh, <laughs> Aww. Aww. Poor Michael Sarah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Garden State, you know, Natalie Portman, what does she do? She she shows Zach, and she lets Zach Braff, li- Braff listen to the shins, and, and, and the blows So you know mind. who I liked in this movie, who I think actually has a, a significant amount of agency? Um is Knives Shall. I like her a lot, too. I think she's the one who, yeah, she spends a lot of the movie pining after the lead, but she's also goes through her own sort of journey yeah. as well. A lot of it happens she peripheral. Goes, does she, would you say she goes monomonomic? <laughs> Man, we'll get to that. We'll yeah. get to that. <laughs> We, we, we'll get to that. We had something else coming up. Well, I'll put it in. It won't be a surprise. It'll be in the notes. But still, yeah. we'll, we'll get to that when we talk about the next thing. But um, <laughs> I like how she does. She, you know, she starts and she's into him. And then. But she's like, well, she starts off. She's this little, almost Woody Allen nebbishy yeah, character. She's just nothing. She's like, I never even kissed a boy. And, and she's just she, nothing. And then, right, and then she gets, she gets she, all these new sort she, of feelings. She blossoms. She, She's right. like, I only discovered great music two months ago, <laughs> which is a great line, I think. Yeah. yeah. I only discovered music two months ago. Yeah. And she, right. She, and she's great. And she goes through this whole thing and a lot of it ends up, you know, being about him at first, but then so much of it becomes about her. I mean, she feels scorned and she decides I'm going to take control and, you know, she lashes out, you know, at, at, uh, Ramona, but yeah, I mean, at the end of it, she's just like, "I'll be fine." Yeah, she gains. Go she ahead. gains her own self yeah. uh, sense of purpose, which is something Ramona has still never even gained. <laughs> She'll be like, "I'm 17." <laughs> yeah, I'm 17. I discovered good music, punk indie scene. Um, you know, yeah, I know how to use a sword. I dyed half my hair blue. Yeah. My name is Knives, which is pretty intense. <laughs> I'm gonna get. I'm, a, I'm gonna be all right. I'm gonna find a guy named Kevin, and he'll fall madly in love with me. Hey, um, <laughs> I like it because your name is nice. Um, but yeah, that does sound like I mean, she she grows, and I think, and the funny thing is, is that I think a lot of people grow in this movie, with the exception of of Scott <laughs> and, and main character. Yeah, Scott and Ramona are the only two who don't grow. Um, you know, a lot of people are, are very one dimensional. Like all of the evil exes are all very one dimensional. We even said that the Japanese twins don't even have a line, right? You know, and the and the others are just played off for laughs. I mean, Patel, of course, comes in and does like a big Bollywood number, which I'm, right. I'm kind of like, it's not even that good of a Bollywood number. <laughs> it was not a good Bollywood. And he could have got someone who could sing. It's a guy who around 2010 would go to hash, uh, um, hookah bars and, and, and watch Bollywood movies quite regularly. Not a very good Bollywood number. Yeah. Um, I, I was kind of ashamed of Edgar Wright. I'm like, you could do better. But then yeah. again, a true Bollywood number would be 20 minutes long. Right, it would have been the entire movie. Yeah. Also, <laughs> yes, it would have been the entire movie, and of course, you know, Chris Evans and Brandon Ralph both are played off for laughs. I mean, right. they're they're pretty. They're those are probably the two best scenes in it. I mean, the Chris yeah. the Chris Evans scene is 
immaculately directed. Mm-hmm. Like I was keep I was watching it. I'm like, God, his cuts here are just perfect. Kind of that perfect length too. Oh, it's it's, it's it, it was it was over and out. Yeah, the Brandon Routh one is funny. There's a lot of smashing through walls, which I was not like. I'm like, how many walls does this building have? <laughs> I kept it keeps thinking, going. Like this is the house from Leaves of Grass. I not leaves, <laughs> a house of leaves. I can't handle it. Uh-huh. Anyone gets that reference? Mm. Um, and then, but it was it was fine. And I like that Thomas Jane just shows up at the end. I'm like Thomas Jane, what are you doing here? That was weird. Yeah. And then the Mae Whitman one I had, I did have problems with just because I was like, oh, he defeats her by touching her like erogenous zones. It's like, ugh. yeah, and they wouldn't let it. And she kept and she even as a character was like, I'm part of this. You should, should fight, fight me. me. This should be, you know, done the way that the rest of them have been done. And he just he doesn't do anything. And then he just gets mad. And it I was think it's a weird scene. Yeah. And the part of it that kind of bothered me, too, was that, OK, we know this is a metaphor for him having to deal with the evil exes, like in her mind, at least like having to compete with them. But they never go through and say, like, well, Scott doesn't compete with I, I can't remember her name. I just said Mae Whitman because. <laughs> right. He doesn't know how to compete with that. It's a completely different experience than something that he's used to. Like, yeah. how would how would a, a, a heterosexual male compete with a, a homosexual female experience? You can't necessarily because it's something completely different. It's something on a different emotional level than you would know. Like, I wouldn't be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But they never, like, wrestle with that. They kind of just kind of gloss over it with his unease and not wanting well, to fight her. With the dumb joke of how she, when she dies quote unquote or whatever you want to call it um she says like you'll never be able to give her this or whatever Mm -hmm. and it's just like ugh, really it's i know that was it kind of felt weird and as like 2010 maybe find it funny 2016 (laughs) i'm kind of like we could do better i don't know when did we now pronounce you chuck and larry come out (laughs) probably around that time wait 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 wait. academy award uh academy award should have been nominated (laughs) we not pronounce you chuck and larry sure yeah. God, there's so many of those movies Adam Sandler has done. <laughs> He's a blight on our <laughs> cinema I, universe. I, I, I like the movie. I, I'm not glowing on it. I, I, well, obviously. I not pronounce you Chuck and Larry. You liked? <laughs> no. Um, no, no, no. I'm just... I, yes, I also like Scott Pilgrim versus mm-hmm. I also like it. I just found like some things kind of weird. Sure. Uh, there are some things that are troubling. There are yeah. some things that already, only six years later, haven't aged all that well. I don't know that they were that... <laughs> they, they probably would have been a little cringeworthy at the time, too. Yeah, a little bit, maybe. But, yeah, I think, I don't know. I, I would be interested to just see some more. Um, well, peop- you hear people kind of talk about that, too, and just kind of think about what 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 maybe could have been done better. Well, and I think the big, my biggest issue overall, and I, I've probably harped on this again and again, is Ramona. Mm-hmm. She's just there. Like, she has, there's no real purpose She's like a, a waifu pillow to to yeah to to Scott and and Gideon. Like, why are they fighting over her? Right. The only real moment that she kind of has of her own is, and it and it almost doesn't count. Is just her fighting, helping fight Gideon at the end. Well, he, she also helps. She also fights uh, May. Uh, that's true. Yeah. But that was that felt like because that was more of her thing to get over in herself which it's like i don't is it really that big of a deal i know really? and but the, and that's the thing is like they never like go into that 
Like right. we're pulling like, this if out. If this is a metaphor, for, that's yeah. true. We're reading a lot of this into this movie. We'll say that now, you know, yeah. an hour and a half in, but <laughs> however long we are, but we're only an hour in. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. It, it's it is a metaphor, but it's not really played as such which is fine it's it's fine like i that's why i like the magical realism of it right of it i just kind of wish they did more with it just dug a little bit deeper it would have been nice if she would have just been like i don't i mean it, maybe it would have been anticlimactic I, I i we don't really don't like to do this although we do it a lot <laughs> we say that we don't like to do it and then we do it in every single episode of what they <laughs> should have done but it would have been nice to have had something a little bit more where she was like this is insane all of this, you know, led me here. Yeah. Right? And this is where I am now, and this is all a part of who I am. I'm not ashamed yeah. of any of this. Yeah. I don't have to apologize for any By of this. By defeating my evil exes, you're defeating... She apologizes for every single one of them. Yeah. And it's like... And the funny thing is, too, is on top of everything, is that Scott is the exact same way. We get to see three of his girlfriends in this movie. Knives, um, Alison Pill... And, uh, and Brie Larson. And Brie Larson. Mm-hmm. Envy. Uh, Envy, yes. Because she's Clash at... Uh, Natalie. Oh, Clash at... Demon... Demon Head? Ed? It's the name of a video game. I, I oh, saw that in my okay. notes. All right. She played... Like, when I when she said, like, do you have any Clash at Demon Head? I'm like, is that a Clash album I've never heard of? And then I realized it was... <laughs> the Clash name. Live at Demon Head? Yeah. <laughs> like, that sounds pretty cool. I didn't know that album existed. That sounds good. Yeah. yeah. It's just... Get into that. It's actually just all covers. Oh, and, uh, no, it came out in 1985. <laughs> Never mind. It's all live. It's live versions of everything on Hang'em High, so. Hang'em High. Or what's up with Hang'em? What's the... You're thinking of Give Him Enough Rope? Give Him Enough Rope, sorry. That's a great album. That was yeah. our second album. It's not that great. It doesn't have as many big uh, songs it's, it's on not it, a lot it's a great of, album. Not a lot of singles on that one. It's a great album. A lot of a lot of reggae on it, if I remember correctly. Mm. No, I'm thinking of the, the triple album. Sandinista. Sandinista, Which you yes. are not high on. I am not high on Sandinista. No. I get mad at Sandinista. <laughs> I know. You'll come around. You'll go through a reggae phase. Stop your evil ways! Ah! Sneaky. Who are you? I am the chick. The, the tick? That's what it says on my mailbox. The terror is moving weapons and armor into this city. He's planning something terrible. You've got ideas, theories. I like that in a sidekick. What are you talking about? You got the brains. I got the everything else. All right. So we talked a little bit about this, but uh, God bless it. <laughs> um, so we're doing something a little different today. Instead of one of our usual, uh, we're not going to talk about comic news. We're going to talk about something that's going on. on Am- this will be good because we can cut it down a little bit because I think sure. we're a little wordy. Mm-hmm. At the beginning. We're talking about Amazon's pilot for The Tick. Yes. Um, just wanted to put Spoon. this out there. I was thinking about we were going to do this whole episode, but let's just do like, let's kind of keep it brief. We'll talk about kind of our review of it. Um, Amazon's doing pilots. Yes. This is pilot season, and one of them is a half hour version of The Tick. Mm-hmm. A little brief thing. Uh, the Tick first debuted in 1984. is done by Ben Edlund, who's probably most well known now from doing the showrunner on the first I don't know, 20 seasons of Supernatural, <laughs> however right. many are on at this point. Right. Kevin just keeps watching. He, he started with uh, Supernatural in 1967. <laughs> Hello, old chum. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so The Tick has, has gone through many numerous things. It was an original black and white press book, very absurdist humor. All It was... It was just a funny take on modern days, mm-hmm. on, on the superhero genre that was happening in the 1980s and 1990s. 
Um, three great trays if you could track them down. Um, one is, I think one's called Tick in Color. Uh, but the Tick is a big blue superhero who has no secret identity. He is only the Tick. Right. And he hangs out with his sidekick, Arthur, who mm-hmm. wears a white moth outfit. <laughs> right. Very schlubby. Very schlubby. <laughs> you know, um, he just wants to be a superhero. And the whole yeah. thing is, is like how silly everything is. It's, it's hyperbolic. It's, oh, it's, yeah. it's, abs- and it's absurdist. It's, I think I said it's data level absurdism. Mm-hmm. Just goofiness on every level. And there was two media projects that were done beforehand. There was the early 90s Saturday morning tick cartoon that was done. It would, and it's, Wonderful. I don't know if it's streaming oh, anywhere. So funny. Uh, and, and, and Kevin said correctly in that it is. Uh, it was Adult Swim before Adult Swim. Right. It, it was in sort of that sweet spot. It, it was adult, but I mean, not you know inappropriate for kids. I mean, kid, kids could probably watch it. I watched it when I was a kid. Yeah, it's, I don't. That, I don't think that it was debuted that. in '94. Ran for three or four seasons. Yeah. So it, there was nothing completely. In, there was nothing inappropriate about it. And that what was great about it was that is like adults are able to enjoy it. For its absurdist humor without it having to rely on dirty jokes. Yeah. Like, the jokes were, like, solid jokes. and Yeah. Very funny. There was characters called American Maid, who was a send-up on Wonder Woman, you know, Made in America. Mm-hmm. And there was Deflator Mouse, who was Batman. <laughs> right. Uh, there, and there was... The villains were great. There was Chairface Chippendale, a villain who literally had a chair for a head. Yeah. Not, like... No, he had a chair it on his head. It was just a wooden chair. Yeah. yeah. There was the Mad Bomber, <laughs> What Bombs at Midnight. Yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was, it was, there was the, there was the, the other tick who was, who was another guy who tried to take the tick mantle, but he went by the name Barry instead. <laughs> um, it's just unbelievably silly. Um, I have, like, we each have our favorite moments. You like the little wooden the boy. The little wooden boy. I love I, Arthur, which was the mucus version of Arthur. Uh-huh. Um, there was the Tyrannosaurus Rex guy, the guy, uh, it was just <laughs> the guy who dated Dot. I think, I think you said we were going to cut this one down. I, I know, I know, but it's just so silly. <laughs> and then they went to um, the live action version with Patrick War- Patrick Warburton, putty, TV's putty, as the tick, which is great because, like, that voice all of a sudden became Tick's voice. Yeah. Like, it was never that. It was In the cartoon, he was very, like, Adam West. Yeah, right, exactly. It was definitely going for that old, very sort of, like, projective, yeah. like... Ha-ha! Old <laughs> we're going to take down these villains. Um, and, and then he became Patrick Warburton, which kind of defined it. And, you know, that show only ran for, like, six episodes on Fox. It was... But it was... It has yeah. gained a huge cult following. Um, Nestor Carbonell as, as Batman well and, mm-hmm. you know... All, all those other ones. It was. It was. Who did the voice of? Uh, I believe didn't he do the original voice of the Tick in the cartoon? Was that Nestor Carbonell? Was uh, it really? No, I'm sorry. No, no. Uh, never mind. I'll <laughs> no. cut that out. Never mind. <laughs> I was gonna say. Um, I know Rob. I know Mickey Dolenz did the voice of Arthur in the cartoon in the first season, and then Rob Paulson did this in the uh, second season. Let me see who did. Yeah, uh, I remember Rob Paulson doing it. Yeah. Uh, then it was uh, Townsend Coleman did the voice of the Tick. I don't know who that is. Yeah, oh, he did Michelangelo. He does, he does and a bunch of new turtles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then so we have this, and this show is taken <laughs> way more seriously, much darker, very dark. Yeah. Um. It's it's basically about Arthur's 
Arthur's story, uh, you kind of get a backstory to superhumans. Told a lot more through his perspective, yeah. more so than anything else. So you start off with the Tunguska ex- ex- blast, uh, blast of, of 1908, 1908. Yep. where we the f- Superion, the first superhero, shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a decades-long battle with the Terror, as played by Jackie Earl Haley, mm-hmm. Rorschach. Sure. Um, also in... Uh, you, the pre, uh, also in Preacher, Odin mm-hmm. Quinn Cannon, who yep. Kevin has yet to watch. And I'm gonna... I haven't watched it. I will get there. <laughs> I'll get to it. It's not enough Seth Rogen for you. I'm going to get to it. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna get to it. I'm going to get to it. There's so much crap to watch. <laughs> um, and Arthur was actually present at like this big terror, the terror attack. Right, where he kills the city's superhumans, mm-hmm. and he, you know this—he kills them with weaponized syphilis, syphilis, which makes them blind, and then they're all murdered, murdered. with guns. Which I find crazy that this takes it so seriously, but they do such silly stuff like weaponized syphilis. Yeah, and then Arthur is trying to. It, Supposedly, Superion has destroyed the terror, but Arthur doesn't believe it. Like, there's this running thing of, like, they found his teeth, Arthur. Right, they keep saying that. Yeah. Um, But Arthur's trying to check it out. And in one of his stakeouts, he meets the Tick. Right. And the Tick, he's never heard of. Mm -hmm. Nobody's ever heard of. There's nothing on the internet about him. Which is weird. He shows up and he's just like... I'm the tick, and that's why. So I, I, I mentioned. Well, now I don't remember if I mentioned it before or no, after I don't the recording. Think, yeah. But there's this whole thing about mental illness on this show where Arthur, because of what happened, uh, you know, he's he's on medication, and his sister, uh, his older sister, I'm assuming, um, who was not there, but is basically his guardian, despite the fact that he's a grown man and is responsible for him, and. You know, is aware that he has this obsessive behavior. He um, is prone to hallucinations. He's basically off of his medication. And there's this thing where when he meets the tick and he literally says, I'm the tick, Arthur gets literally this tick in, in his, his eye. Eyes, he gets yeah. this nervous tick in his eye. And you're just like, and it happens like three more times. And it's a 20 minute show, well, but and it that's... keeps happening. And you're like, okay, I get, I mean, I get it. And there's all, but there's, the great thing is too. Well, I shouldn't say the great thing. So, so sorry. So no, he no, thinks yeah. that the tick is a hallucination. That's his fear because then he googles him and he does nothing comes up, and so he's like, well, "What the heck?" And the show makes it weird where it's not well it's entirely the, clear that he isn't a hallucination. No, because there's this there's these scenes where Arthur, after he's been arrested for like breaking into public property, you see that's the, true. You I guess see because the tick, we see that, which is. Bad, in my opinion. Like, I think the show wanted to make it seem like we don't know if the tick is real or not. Or is he just part of Arthur's hallucination? Right. But you do see the tick acting alone mm-hmm. without Arthur having been there. Right. And it's not... True. And it's like, they could have kind of gone a, a fight club route, which could have been kind of cool. I don't know. Like, I can't say either way. Right. But... I mean, I don't know that I would have liked that ultimately, I, I but... Yeah, I don't it know if... It would have been interesting, It would have been interesting, yeah. But you have Peter Serafinowitz, who's doing kind of a weird Patrick Warburton impression. Yeah. Not he's, quite. He's kind of like a mixture of like the cartoon and Patrick. He's like yeah. a good middle ground. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know. But I, I, I like his tick. I do. I, 
I, I like the costume a lot. I think it's it's much truer to the. But the problem is, is like I'm so used to Ben Edlund's drawings where the tick has this massive upper body. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's never going to really oh, work, no, no, and no, that's no. part yeah. of the reason that. Yeah, live action. I mean, I just never watched the live action show either yeah. because I was just like, well, Patrick Warburton's a big guy. That's true. So it kind of works for him. I mean, and they do a lot with the costume to make it look like a bigger guy. Yeah, Pete's but. not. Pete Serafinowicz is not especially a built guy. He's no. a comic actor. Yeah, a comedian. He's the voice does of- the sassy uh, gay Trump voice <laughs> in the. You could Google that. It's very, very, very funny. Also in Guardians of the Galaxy, and he's the voice of Darth Maul. Is he? Yeah. Oh. I probably knew that He's one the guy the in Guardians of the Galaxy who says, like, I knew he was in Guardians. I remember that, but yeah. I, I couldn't quite remember. He's the free. He's uh, Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, he's the he? zombie zombie roommate in Shaun of the Dead. Pete. Yeah. Pete. Which is his actual name. <laughs> I think he's most I only famous remember f- that because of them at the bottom of the series going, Pete. <laughs> Just trying to call to him. <laughs> Pete. I always. I, so funny. He was also in Black Books, which is perennially on Netflix, which somebody you could watch. Um, yeah, so it's weird. I, I like it because I like a lot of the stuff they did with the tick. It's such a classic way of doing stuff like that. That Batman, that 60, you know, uh, 60, 66 Batman monologuing, you know, yeah. where he's like, ah, the tree of crime bears bitter fruit, my old chum, you <laughs> right. know? Like, I like that. I think that's fun. And I think Sarah Finnewitz's delivery of that is great. And there's that scene where he's like taking out the bad guys and just like he's not punching or anything. He's just kind of like pushing he's them out of the way. Them. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, he was the best part of it, which I think is good since it's called The Tick. But obviously, they chose to tell the story from Arthur's perspective. In which case, it should probably be called Arthur. Um, but that's already a show because we know the about tick- a weird Ardvark kid. Or whatever, an anteater, whatever he's supposed to be. Well, we know that the tick is not... Ne- well, according to this, the tick is not necessarily the tick, the big blue guy. It's also Arthur's tick yeah. that's going on. There's the tick without a K. Yeah. There's a lot going on. There's a couple multiple levels going on in the show. Yeah. But I think it's I, weird I, that... I probably won't watch it. <laughs> this, it's, it's just weird that this is like the preview that they... The, the pilot that they do for it when like a lot of the stuff that they put into the show... like. They could have put into other episodes. Like, you didn't need to have a lot of that stuff, like the Superior stuff and the Terror stuff. Like, yeah, I mean, as a pilot, obviously, they're kind of setting up a lot of I think it was what's a going very on, weak pilot. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, in terms of, like, story-wise, I'm like, okay, I'm interested to see what's going on. However, in terms of a pilot, I'm like, this is supposed to be a preview of the show that I'm going to see. Like, this doesn't get me excited to see the no, tech. No, it was yeah. all over the place. It was... Yeah, I mean, like, show more of, like, crazy tick, and then, like, show how obsessive Arthur is, and then leave us guessing, why is Arthur so obsessive? Why does Arthur want to find out about the terror? You know, where are all these superheroes coming from? What happened to the superheroes of the city? You know, like, all of the stuff that could have been answered later. Right, because it was weird because they they said, we hear in a voiceover, in in, in the taxi cab that he's in, we hear... That the League of what was it the League of Five, the five like the the Cape Five Capes Five Flags yeah, the, oh the Five Flags that's Whatever what it is it yeah okay so we hear that they're they were blinded by weaponized syphilis and then killed and then like ten minutes later not even like three minutes later we see that happen yeah it was it was kind of like 
what? Why did they have to do that and oh, that? Right. It was like, yeah, that's a kind of a thing that could have been held over. Like, you got to pick one. I don't know why we had to see both. It was just, it was messy. I didn't like, like it. And it starts off okay because they show a shot of the Earth and they're like, and it's the tick voiceover going, don't worry, I'm not in space. And I'm like, okay, this <laughs> is good. Funny. It's starting off right. That's you know? funny tick stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and it's, it's like, too super serious. Yeah. And it's, it didn't have enough tick at the beginning to bounce off the seriousness of of Arthur's story. Like, yeah. if you're going to have a serious story like Arthur's juxtaposed to the tick, you need to have that fairly well paced in order to keep it balanced. Because yeah. if you don't keep it balanced, the whole thing's going to fall apart. Right. Yeah. About mental illness, it's about the war on terror, and it's a 20-minute <laughs> yeah. comedy show on Amazon about superheroes yeah something about that's just not working for me i don't know what it is i don't i, I i'll give it a watch if it happens but mm-hmm. it's like it's one of those like if i don't like the first season i'm probably not going to stick with sure. it sure i learned my lesson from agents of shield i <laughs> i watched two and then bailed so oh well this is your last chance after this there is no turning back you take the blue pill the story ends You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. All right, so we're doing a top three today. Yeah. We did did recasting last week, uh, last episode with the Suicide Squad. A million years ago. A million years ago. A child ago. Um... (laughs) So we're going to do our pick three. Kevin, go ahead with our pick three. Yeah, I I briefly thought about doing our three top three uh, video game movies, but then I realized that there are no good ones. No. And don't write to me and tell me that Underworld is good. Don't Underworld's write not a video game movie. See? Exactly. So don't write to me and tell me that because it doesn't You're count. You're probably thinking of Blood Rain, which is a video game movie. A Yui uh, Bowl video game movie. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. What's the... Wait, doesn't matter. I'm not getting into that. There, there's another one that's that's like that. Well, there's there's Silent Hill, which is not that I know is a video game movie. That's not the one I was thinking of. There's another one that's like that, that they've done a couple of. Resident Evil? Yes, that's yeah. what I was thinking of. I didn't the mean first, Underworld. The first I meant one Resident is, Evil. The first one is good, Thank but it's, it's not great. No, none of them are great. So, um, I thought, well, part of what makes Scott Pilgrim so interesting to watch is it's so, you know, sort of visually inventive. We talked about the stuff appearing on the screen in the video game, um, things happening. So, uh, it's a pretty broad category, but we are going to do our top three visually inventive Movies and yeah. I'm gonna very quickly, I promise, go through my honorable mentions. The stuff that is not at all on my list, and then I'll turn it over to you for. Well, your don't you want to do that at the end? No, I want to do it now because there's a lot of stuff. What if that... some of my stuff is on there? Okay, all right, fine. Yeah, fine. fine. We, we always do. I was saying there's a the lot end. of stuff that I left off for particular reasons, just because I just didn't want to get into it. Yeah. Um, we'll, so we'll, we'll okay. hit that at the all end. Right. All right. All right. All right. So Go. my your number three. My number three movie is a movie that I think kind of introduced me to that weird, uh, like, green screen, full green screen movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple that I like really much, but I think the one that I kind of go to is like, oh, this movie was completely filmed in front of green screen, and I really love it, is Sin City. Yeah. It's a movie that we'll probably do at some point, because sure. it is a comic book movie, 
Um, yeah, when I get over my whole Zack Snyder thing. Yeah. Well, it's Robert Rodriguez, so it's a little different. That's true. And Robert, because Robert Rodriguez, like, you can Was always... Zack Snyder involved in that? No, movie? not at all. Oh. Quinn Tarantino actually directed a couple scenes. Oh, um, but it is a complete, it's it's one of those Zack Snyder type movies where they want to, like, com- like really pull the images off the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, this is a movie that... I remember liking it. That does a really great... And I think part of the reason why I really like it, and I think part of the reason you remember liking it, is because both you and I love noir. And yeah. it's a very noir-heavy movie. Yep. And it the visual stylings of it make it interesting. It's live-action people interacting in a cartoon. And it's sure. done well. And it works with a noir setting, especially a heavy noir setting. And I think it, it did something that they tried to keep doing in, like, Batman v Superman, where it doesn't quite work because... It's all about source material, so and this does it well. Something that they did in three hundred as well. It's like they're they're almost like bookends, the same thing. It's also hard to kind of think about that movie now because they've done so much of that since. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about that in with regard to another movie. Um, because once you do something really interesting and you do it well, it's going to be copied a billion times. And not well. <laughs> and not well. Usually it's going to get a lot worse. Um, but I do remember when that came out, I remembered it being really interesting uh, and really fun to watch. I don't remember if I saw it in the theater, but um, it's got a lot of people we like in it. You know, Mickey Rourke and, uh, Inter- interesting, and uh, Bruce Willis. Uh, interesting little uh, note. It was the last movie I ever saw with a girl that wasn't my wife. Oh, so, look at that. Yes. I don't think I know that trivia off the top of my no, you head of which one was mine. But anyway, my number three is uh, a movie that um, all of mine actually take place. Uh, almost all of mine were in my original number one was also in the late 90s. They were all in like a two year period of like 98, 99. Uh, but I ended up uh, last minute changing my uh, my number one to be a little bit later. But um my number three is a movie that um, is interesting because um, it's one of those where I think that because, unfortunately, the story is so, like the visuals so outweigh the story that it tends to be sort of glossed over and a lot of people don't like it. It gets kind of dismissed, but the visuals were so impactful and so incredible to watch at the time that even though I haven't seen the movie since probably 98 or 99 when it came out, I still remember it. And I probably need, I rewatched a couple scenes for this list. Um, it's the 1998 Robin Williams movie. What dreams, dreams may, may come. come. I saw, I saw that in a, a couple lists mm-hmm. of like visually inventive movies. I remember it. And it's one that I thought of, cause I did look at a couple lists too. And I usually do just to get ideas, but like, this was one I thought of right away because um, my wife and I actually um, both remember this movie. And obviously we saw it before we, we knew each other, but um, we remember it very fondly. One of these days we'll have to sit down and watch it. My remember, also my memory known as, of it, as Dante Alighieri's is, What Dreams May Come. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My memory of it is unfortunately the movie's not very good. Like the story's not great. No. But, but I watched a scene where it's, it's a movie where if you haven't seen it, Robin Williams really quickly Robin Williams' wife um, dies in a like, car accident and he literally goes through heaven and hell to find her and 
it's depicted so just lavishly. It won the the visual effects Oscar that year, and um, I, 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 I was watching make a some... comparison to like Akira Kurosawa's Dreams, like very sure. similar. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to be on your list. I'm sorry if it it's is. not. No, okay. no, no. Um, but it, but I I think it's a similar it's a similar concept where they they take this idea that dreams and and that's a it's a sort of a theme on my list, I guess, of dreams and sort of alternate reality being this idea of like being able to play with that visually. Um, I rewatched the scene from this movie where um, Robin Williams' character wakes up in a field of flowers and they're paint. He's basically in like a Monet painting or something yeah. like that. And he finds... That's probably the most famous He finds scene, his yeah. childhood dog comes to greet him, a Dalmatian, which, you know, they're inbred and useless. I hate but, Dalmatians. And mean. But <laughs> but they help firemen, I guess? Um, and give birth to obscene amounts of puppies? And uh, he, uh, that's a that's a tearjerker of a scene anyway. But um, I, I want to revisit it. I'd love to see it again. Watching those scenes didn't really instill me with confidence. But if we're talking about visual, that's one that even though I haven't seen it in going on 20 years now, it has still stuck with me. So that's saying yeah. something. Um, what, my number two is a movie that's kind of, I've just revisited recently. And I was shocked at how much I enjoyed it. Because remember, I, I saw it as a child movie came out in 1988 and i was not a huge fan of it hmm. um just because i thought it was a little too dark for me like i was just like it's this is not like as fun as i want it to be it's 1988's who framed roger rabbit oh a movie yeah. that when i saw it as a kid i was not a huge fan of it but now as i re- wow i gotta remember i was only seven when that movie came out and i saw it in the theater it was a big deal to go see it and now just re-watching it recently it was on netflix i don't know if it still is i mm-hmm. when i watched it, it was on netflix that movie is gorgeous. Yeah. Just unbelievable. And the things they did with the animation, and because and, I said, since City is about live action actors interacting in a cartoon, this is about cartoons interacting in a live action environment. <laughs> live action interacting with cartoons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, and they always make a big deal out of it. Like, and I was like, nah, it's big. No, not a big deal. Not a big deal. And then I watched it. I was like, holy crap, this is amazing what they did. And like the the fact that they were able to get Warner Brothers and 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 Disney and Disney mm-hmm. in the same scenes together, it was just it's so beautiful to watch. And it's mm-hmm. it's it's essentially the third part of the Chinatown series. You got Chinatown, the two Jakes, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> you know, right. it and it's it's uh you know it's all about like it's one of those L.A. noir movies. It's sure. another noir movie. Like I don't know why noir popped up on my list twice. Um, my my number one is not noir, so all I'll just right. give you a preview on that one. But it's it's a noir movie all about streetcars. <laughs> it's such a weird, and it's such a Chinatown story. It it's is, just like a crazy Chinatown concept. Yeah, and you know the tune that killed Eddie Valentine's brother, <laughs> and he laughed just like oh my god, Christopher Lloyd in that movie. Yeah, and uh, it's just. And the Lana Turner, Jessica Rabbit, it, mm-hmm. it's, as an adult, I watch it and I go, this movie is genius. And as yeah. a kid, I'm like, this movie is terrible. So that's so interesting. I, that's a great pick. I actually never even thought of that one. It definitely would have been on my list if I'd thought of it. But um, that's such interesting because I'm, I'm, I'm a, like a year or two younger than you and I really i loved that movie as a kid i don't remember if i saw it in the theater or not but i loved it i've always loved that movie since the first time i saw it and i've seen that movie 
several times. It's probably been a few years, but I've definitely revisited every now and then. So it's, great. Yeah, I, I never really revisited it because I was never a big fan of it as a kid. And now just recently because it was on Netflix, I was like, ah, screw it, I'll watch it. That movie is genius. Yeah. Like pure 100% genius. And I'm... I'm kind of sad it took me this long to get it. <laughs> and and as I say, it's visually impressive. Just watching it and seeing how they did it and what they did. It's great. And it's Bob Hoskins. Who, oh, and yeah. That was my introduction to Bob Hoskins. Probably um, everyone's introduction. It's well, still my only real... <laughs> I mean, I've seen him in other things, but that's like definitely my go-to Bob Hoskins is Eddie Valiant. Yeah, Eddie Valiant, not Eddie Valentine. Eddie Valentine is actually from The Rocketeer, but... <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't even catch that you yeah. said it wrong, but I know what it is. Anyway. How they paying you, Eddie? Dollars of Deutschmarks. Eddie Valentine ain't no Nazi stooge. <laughs> <laughs> my Rocketeer quote. Okay, so what's your number two? I my, phone. my number two, and I, I'm, I'm going to apologize in advance because there's a, there's a strong possibility this is going to be your number one, so I may step on it, um, but it'll transition, I guess, well, if it is. Um... When we were talking about movies that uh, it's a little bit hard to watch now and think about because they've ripped it off so many times so poorly. Um, it's the original 1999, The Matrix. No, it's not. Matrix, okay. Matrix is in my honorable mentions. Okay. Um, I think that's that one. Way, and it's interesting thinking about that movie. And I haven't seen it in a, in several years. It's another one I haven't vis- revisited in a long time, even though I, I own the trilogy. But I think between the two not so good sequels and all of the just the imitations from you know a movie we might talk about at some point wanted and yeah. just like all of those movies where people do that thing where you dodge the yeah. bullets and, and all of that slow-mo like action sequences right. all of that it. like it's hard to think about that but you have to kind of go back and contextualize that and it's and it's so fascinating to th- to Watch that movie and think about, like, it's so easy to see now, like, why that became such a thing and why it was like, the, we've got to do more Because it was movies. amazing. It blew everyone's mind. And coming out in 1999, I mean, right at the end of, you know, uh, not only the, the greatest 90s. The year for movies of all time, in my opinion. Hmm. All right. Well, the greatest, uh, the save greatest, that for another The episode. greatest summer of movies. I mean, maybe. Come on. It opened up I'm not, back uh, to back with The Mummy, man. Okay. <laughs> all right. But. <laughs> Brendan Fraser. I do the like mummy. it. All right. I do like that. But, South Park, bigger, longer, and cut. Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, American Pie. Okay. Austin okay. Powers 2, The Spy That Shagged Me. I could keep going. <laughs> I would wish you wouldn't. <laughs> I know. I'm just. <laughs> um, and even Keanu Reeves, who I'm not always a big fan of uh and can usually take uh for every like five movies he does i might like one of them and that's a 50 50 shot so um, i know kung fu exactly that's my that's a one part of that movie i can't stand but um he manages to sell that of this guy who's just like you know gets ripped out of this reality and and his sort of dumbfounded doofus thing like i guess it works really well for this because he's supposed to act that way yeah so i don't know I, the, the, the matrix movie, is one that you you usually find on these lists but i think it's for good reason um the matrix is i think high on the list just for it's it's it used camera trickery that had always been around like they could always do this stuff with the cameras this is just the wachowskis uh doing it correctly and doing a lot of it and doing stuff with 
things that people hadn't done, like color saturation, using yeah. electronic music, um, a lot of stuff that had been done earlier in Blade that had just that was now used oh, okay. for better effect. Because the Wachowskis know how to direct action. Right. Everything else they don't know how to direct, but action <laughs> they know how to direct. What I was going to say is that... Except um, for Ballistic XV Sever. Oh, God. What I was going to say is that um, it's the movie that I think of as, like, it took it all, this long to 1999 from 1982 to finally make another Blade Runner. Yeah, I think like mm-hmm. to to talk about noirs again, but yeah. <laughs> you know that's why I said my number one is not Blade Runner either because I, I don't I didn't put number <laughs> when one. When you said it's yeah. not a noir, you knew it wasn't going to be Blade, Blade Runner, Runner, but yeah. that's also would have been a good pick. But which version of Blade Runner? Oh God, I don't even know the difference anymore. <laughs> Who can tell? Who can keep up with all that? Um, so my number one is a movie that I know you just rewatched recently, and I rewatched recently. It is. The Coen Brothers, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Okay. Probably, and the only reason why I think it is visually stunning, because it was the first movie that I ever really understood um, color editing technique in a movie that made me realize of, like, using digital editing to make me feel something. Hmm. Um, They did, like, Matrix did this, too. And, like, when you said The Matrix, I was like, yeah, they kind of did this, too. But they were able to take the digital print of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou and turn it and make it feel like uh, just using color saturation and the way that they kind of put it all together to make me feel like I was in the South in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they did it, but it was just a digital editing technique of just color saturation that was so impressive that to this day I still think about it as one of the most brilliant visuals that they've that like visual editing things that i've ever seen Hmm. um i know not a lot of people feel that way and there's like a lot of like fun like special effects stuff but i think in terms of visually impressive movies that is one of them um and of course it's just one of my favorite movies of all time so Hmm. (laughs) so i didn't want to go too much into it but i just it's the color editing in in that movie that just makes me feel just, and, and the digital effects, they're very subtle. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of stuff, like, in, just in terms of what they did that I unbelie- just love. And I love watching the making of Oh Brother Where Art, though, just to see what they did. And I think it's, it's, it's pure genius just in, like, oh, if we just tweak this here, this color here, it makes you feel this way. If we tweak this color here, it makes you feel that way. Hmm. So that's just my... Yeah. I know I know it's a little anticlimactic for my number one, but no. it's still it's like it's 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 kind of a boring like special effect technique, but I love it. I think it's so great. Well, I <laughs> I, I strongly considered being John Malkovich for my number one, oh, which really yeah. only has like the one. And the only reason I didn't put it on my list is because it really ha- only has like one really big visual scene and that's when of course John Malkovich goes inside of his own head and he gets that really trippy Malkovich 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 scene Um, and I was like well it it ends up on these lists a lot for being visual but it's really that one scene otherwise everyone just looks dour so which I love that movie too Um, over the world though the only thing I have to say about that other than I really like it is that um, I'm, I'm a little surprised but I think it is still and probably will remain my wife's favorite Coen Brothers movie which I think is an interesting favorite. It's my favorite Coen Brothers favorite. It's interesting. I don't know. I mean, like, I, I love the Coen Brothers movies. And yeah. it's, it's a it's a tie-up there with Lebowski, but it's... Yeah. See, I go Fargo. That, Fargo's great. It's just too cold. <laughs> it's very cold. That's sort of the point. <laughs> oh, yeah, there, March. 
Um, it's a plate that starts with D L R. I think those are dealer plates. <laughs> I, I got to disagree with your detective there. Work there, Phil. Um, <laughs> That's Marge Gunderson, the best. So well, she won the Academy Award. So how you can argue did. with that? So uh, my number one, uh, like I said, a little bit later um, than my my late nineties picks from two thousand four. I'm going with Eternal Sunshine of and the Spotless, Spotless Mind. Mind. Yeah, the uh, that's one of those ones where and I. Who directed that one? That was uh, uh, Spike Jones. Spike Jones, thank you. I believe, uh, written by Charlie, Charlie Kaufman. Kaufman. Yeah, um, same one who did Being John Malkovich. It, right, exactly. So that's one where I, I and I knew that for my number one, I really wanted something that brings a lot of that together with the big sort of inventive set pieces. Um, it ties in a little bit with again with this idea of like dream. This is more me- this is memories and not dreams. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like they go hand in hand in this in that film and in in in, in the other film as well. But um, that's the one where that's one of those movies in two thousand four. I was definitely already into film and getting into that whole idea of of thinking about movies in that way. But um, that was one that I could not wait for it to come out. I must have watched the trailer. <laughs> Probably, th- you know, a dozen times. And then I finally went and saw it. And I, I mean, I got to say. How I mean, did we ever an, become friends? And like, absolutely <laughs> fantastic top to bottom. I mean, I, I liked it too. But I mean, at the same time, I only saw it because I was dating a girl at the time. <laughs> and I w- wanted to see the movie. <laughs> and she wanted to see the movie. <laughs> absolutely. I, I think that is, I think it is one of the best movies of the the, the century so far of the two thousand I'd give you to the two thousand yeah the right. first the first ten years of the sure. decade yeah well, all right well yeah. I, I mean I'm I'll carry it into this it's not like there's been enough in the last five years or six years that have pushed it over what about Thor <laughs> um no I, I mean I love that one and and and, well, and what about probably... Francis Ha Kevin what about Francis Ha I do love me some Francis Ha and that would be on my list too uh, that's but a visually it would, it, movie. It, well, I mean, it's black and white, um, and I would I wouldn't even say you know what I would even say that that's unfortunately I I don't love the black and white in that movie yeah. because it's very it's the one where he didn't shoot it in black and white like uh, Nebraska mean, which is a recent black yeah. and white movie that I absolutely love and like yeah. mo- I don't I probably don't like it more than than Francis Ha but I'm disappointed in Francis Ha because it was shot in color and post converted to black and white yeah which makes it a little bit more muddled yeah Nebraska was shot in black and I, white I, I saw crisp and beautiful and i love it i won't All get right. in. i won't get in but uh some of my honorable mentions um i really enjoy the visual effects of the star wars movies those are one of those things that sure. i can those I are can, on my list too yeah. i just exempted star wars yeah altogether um the clash of the titans which to this day i watch oh the harry house yeah the ray harry yes. the original right please. okay well i Not wanted to sim- make sure it, it took yeah. me a second yeah anything ray harry just no well that especially just because of the the way that the special effects merged with like a, f- a fantastic soundtrack and mm-hmm. just like it's just very visually inventive. The only problem is is like that type of animation had been around since King Kong, so it's not really visually inventive. And that's the same thing with um, it's all about his character design and his work. And uh, I did want to give an honor. This was like it. I I felt like kind of pushing this like. If I didn't have Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which is kind of a weak number one, but I still just unbelievably like it. If but if I pushed that out and I had had to put in another number three, it probably would be Brazil. 
I thought about Brazil. Yeah. Uh, but once again, Brazil is just a gorgeous movie. But a lot of the none of the effects are like really groundbreaking. Nothing is groundbreaking about that movie. It's just really um, incredibly well put together, together and yeah. it's a weird, a wonderfully weird sort of visual film that that you just experience. Yeah, you're it's just like what am what, I even looking at right now? Which version am I watching? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's where's that weird dude with yeah. a baby face? What's your what's your you have a um, so yeah. everything that I exempted from this list, um, the Kill Bill movies, especially Volume One, yeah. um, because we I, I just because we talk about them too much. Yeah, um, Jurassic Park, um, bum, I thought bum, was just maybe a little bum, too bum, obvious. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> it's it's not. I thought it was a little too obvious and, and uh, too much from the night. I didn't want all three of them from the beef. And the it's 90s. the only movie that ever made dinosaurs look real. Exactly. The and, only, and I will the love only it. movie. And, and I will love it for that uh forever. And it's not and I'm including Jurassic Park two, three, and Jurassic World well, in that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um Shark Stokes, movie yeah. like Inception. Um just because like, I, we talk a lot about Nolan. I gotta I gotta sort of temper that. Inception did have some visuals that were pretty groundbreaking. Like stuff you'd never seen before. Well, I take that back. You saw in Dark City. Exactly, yeah. and I almost put Dark City on my list too, but that's another one that it's been a long time since I've seen it, and I really need to sit and watch it again. But I remembered loving that movie; blew my mind when I saw it. Yeah, because um, they were like, "Man, the way that you think has just been dictated <laughs> since your birth, man." Exactly. Smoke this weed and open your mind. Any movies with just like really cool camera tricks, I I kind of didn't want to go down that road. Your Touch of Evil, your Jaws, Vertigo, anyone with long long uh, steady cam shots, yeah, Days of Heaven, anything like that, where I just I didn't want to get into like the framing and the cinematography. I just no. I didn't want to go down that road because I I don't think that's what I had in my mind when I was kind of talking about this list. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road because I feel like we talked about that. It's on little, this podcast a while ago. It's a little ago. too new, but I, I will give the... And the thing is, is he just brought back visual... He brought back the Ben Herb visual effects yeah. that that have been around since the 1930s, but right. just no one uses anymore. Practical effects then in post-production really sort of Ramp it up, up. yeah. Um, and then... Um, any of, like, anything in, like, the wuxia genre you're... Couching, crouching, ti- couching tigers, crouching tiger, crouching was on tiger, my list tiger as well, hero, yeah. anything like that. Where I love to watch them, but I'm like, I'm just like, I just, I don't want to. It's been done to go death. down that road yeah. again. Um, and then any Wes Anderson movies, uh, which again, <laughs> I didn't put Wes Anderson on my list because I thought you'd actually have like visually stunning a lot of the time. But I also left out. I didn't write it down. Well, Star Wars, which I mentioned, and then. Um, Anything stop motion to go off your yeah. your Harryhausen thing. <laughs> we are sex babon. One, two, three, four. So Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yeah. Um. You know, I I I said like we cut it off after like a half hour talking about it. I like there's still so much I want to talk about. Like, ah, uh, like one of the things that I was like really kind of wish I I hit on was that, you know, there's a lot of kung fu in this movie, and I kind of like, 
I was like, Stephen Chow should have directed. Like, mm-hmm. like you think about like comedy kung fu, like early Jackie Chan, Drunken Master, or sure. good later stuff like Kung Fu Hustle or mm-hmm. Shaolin, uh, Shaolin Soccer, Shaolin, Shaolin mm-hmm. Soccer, like those funny kung fu movies. Like this movie could have probably taken a cue from. Yeah, um, that's a, that's just there was no right the, the yeah the fighting was very. Other than the video game effect, and maybe that was it. Maybe they didn't want to take away from the video game effects. Yeah, but by not making it a two D platformer like Street Fighter, like a like a like a Street Fighter style game, I'm a little surprised there was not a scene like that. Yeah, I was. Where I mean, he they had, had health, to go left to right. And, they had health bars, but yeah, that would have been actually pretty fun. Like a, a like a final surprised. like a like a final fight style. I was waiting for that. Yeah. Mayor Mike Haggard mm-hmm. trying to get his daughter back. Yeah. Well, we saw the two dragons, and I thought they were going to do a double dragon thing. Billy and Lee and Jimmy Lee? Exactly. Another terrible movie adaptation That's of a video a, game? Yep. Awful, awful. Yeah. The, uh... Yeah, there was... It's like... They took enough that you knew that they were doing it, but I don't think they went deep enough. I think if they had done a little bit more with the genre... We have to go deeper. We have to, Exactly. Like... <laughs> Where was the platformer? Where was the overhead dungeon crawler? Where was the Street Fighter like, like par like not parody but like, like homage or or it really an RPG either? Yeah, like there was there was none. Like he didn't level up. He didn't like. Yeah. If they had done more with that, I think the the metaphor would have worked a little bit better, or like at least the homage would have worked a little bit better. They didn't really do it. Yeah. Um. Could have played with the whole life is a game to him thing. Yeah. I I mean, this one is very hard because it's like, on one hand, I love the editing. I love the directing. I love the acting and the casting and everything about this movie I love. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it's a weak-ass story. (laughs) (laughs) Like, but it's it's not weak-ass story in the terms of, like, it's a good story. It's just that nothing is accomplished because of it. Like, like, I don't like Scott. Yeah, and that's hard because his name is in the title. Yeah. You know? Like, I I don't really like him either. I don't like Ramona. I think Ramona's weak. Yeah. You know? She's not a good good Eastern European woman who's strong, has good loins. (laughs) No, she's, she's, you know, it's, (laughs) it's like everywhere I thought they should have just pushed it more. Made it more Canadian. Why not? Sure. Made it more video game. Made it more comic book. Made it more anything. It just kind of like felt like Edgar Wright was holding back a little, just too much. Yeah. I don't know. But I still liked it. <laughs> that's true. And that's okay. You can like a movie and also acknowledge that it has many, many flaws. I did. It's called and Suicide okay. Squad. <laughs> Well, you liked that movie. And I admit that it had many, many flaws. Yeah, I admit that movie had many, 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 many flaws, and it was a pile of poo. So what are you going to... Scott Pilgrim versus the world. What are you going to give it? I'm going to give it a B. You know... I wanted to give it a B plus, and I think I already gave it my grade on Letterboxd to say that equates to my B plus, but then we talked about it for three hours, and... Uh, we're barely at I f- 140. I feel like uh, yeah, I gotta. Go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna kick it down a little bit and say B. But I'm still gonna. I'm gonna give it. Uh, I'm gonna give it a little heart to say that I liked it. I'm gonna say B. But I liked. Is it, it like a Zelda quarter heart? Like when you get like the the no, heart container? You no. can only really give it the one the full heart. Which no. then maybe that's something they should look into. Yeah, I'm giving it. Um, I'm giving it a B as well. It's kind of. I, 
I want to give it less because I can't like because what we talk about it's like it just angers me that like I I love this movie and I love Edgar Wright and I love the cast but it's just I get so mad at how the characters are treated in this movie um, especially Ramona it, like I, I feel like her who who wrote it wasn't Edgar Wright who wrote this movie. I'm not going to look it up, but the um, I feel like angry at like how her character was treated. I felt that she was not given anything to do, and she was kind of just this side character. I almost want to go down lower. I almost want to go to like to a C level with this movie because of how mad that makes me. But at the same time, I think back to it and I'm like, yeah, every visual in this movie is so impressive. Every frame of this movie is very impressive. Edgar Wright put a lot of love into this movie. I just wish yeah. they put a lot of love into the script. Edgar Wright is credited. It does have a screenplay credit. Um, and also Michael Bacall, who wrote, um, uh, is credited as a writer on 21 and 22 Jump Street. Oh, those movies are good, too. Also Gangster Squad. Also starring... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, he acts in Gangster Squad. I'm sorry. He was IMDb is a little confusing sometimes. 21 Jump Street, also starring Brie Larson. So There you go. See? Reunited again. Yeah, and uh, who we will be talking about when she stars in Captain Marvel. And that'll come sa- come out sometime in the, I don't know the twenty twenties. I'm not I, exactly I sure know. when that movie's coming out. Very. Uh, Kevin's just mad that it's not Greta Gerwig. <laughs> I'm always mad when everything is not Greta Gerwig. <laughs> All right, so go to planetarbitrary.com for your planet arbitrary needs. You can follow me on Twitter at planet arbitrary. You can follow Kevin at at Kate White says. You can like our Facebook page backslash Comic Book Logic. Um, well, we post comic book stuff. Um, not a lot yeah. of not a lot of huge news lately. Yeah, it's been slow. It's been um, a slow trickle. Mostly dumb casting things from, from Spider Man. People complaining about, about Zen- uh, Suicide Squad. And, What's that? Uh, Zen- who's her name? Zendaya. Who's oh, playing yeah. Mary Jane. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I don't. Yeah. Not I, an actress I'm familiar with, unfortunately. Not I don't, yet. I was like, who the hell is this well, girl? We will be. I think it's cool though. Sure. I, I like the idea of a, like a multi-ethnic cast. I'm like, why? Why is Spider-Man white? Why does Spider-Man? I, have to be white? I don't understand why anyone is ever white. Frankly, <laughs> that's right. I'm sick of watching white people. White people have had their time. <laughs> I'm done. Well, and that's the thing is like, <laughs> like I, I, I just don't understand this. Is like as myself, I'm just like, well, the character was originally written as white. I don't care if he's white. That's fine. And I don't care if he's any other color. I just don't care. Like, no, just do whatever you want with it. Like, it's. You know, it's one of those dumb things where, like, if the story requires you to be a race, then you should probably hire someone of that race. Yeah. Like, 12 Years a Slave wouldn't really make any sense (laughs) if that was cast with anything other than an African-American. Very, very true. You you, you just—it doesn't make sense. The movie's crazy. If you're playing a real-life person, I mean, you should probably get someone close, right? You should probably get around there. Um Otherwise, who cares? Yeah. I Nobody think, cares. Like that's the thing is it's I, all pretending. Yeah, I think about with with the Danny Rand casting on Iron Fist. It's like I'm like, like people got upset because he was white. I'm like, but the character was originally written as white, so don't get upset. I mean, like if they had changed it to to anything else, I probably wouldn't care. But I mean, it's like to just. Who cares? It's all pretend. Well, there's also there's the flip side where it's like there's an opportunity to maybe. Yeah. Correct things that were uh, done. Just li- whatever they decide. Let but them decide. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm with you. I'm yeah. not especially like yeah. angry about that one either. Yeah. I, I I feel like it's a missed opportunity, 
But oh well, whatever. Yeah. Oh well, this one sh- dumb Netflix show isn't going to fix a world of yeah problems. <laughs> <laughs> a world of problems. Because you haven't noticed, we've had a Donald couple. Trump will do that. <laughs> so, well, I'll be fed on Trump steaks and, and educated at Trump University. Exactly. All hail the God Emperor Trump. It's going to make it easier. Yeah, we're not going to have you don't any have to decisions think anymore, to Kevin. make anymore. Don't have yeah. to think. Exactly. It's going to Trump's going to decide it all for us. Um. Uh, Where do we leave off? I don't know. And the best Fun, way you can you help Google us. The best way you can help with the podcast <laughs> is to like, comment, and subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review. Um, give us five stars and say we suck. I don't care, but it's the it's all about the stars for me. Exactly. Uh, so, Kevin, until next time, spoon. Comic, what, logic, 